0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director for Passing, Rebecca Hall.
0: Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but
1: I think I know you. Claire? Mm Claire?
0: I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago.
1: Things aren't always what they seem. Bobby, Dan. Lots of people pass all the time.
0: It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to what? You have thought of passing. No. Why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? You dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew.
1: No, oh, no, no, not at all. I hate them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't
1: she extraordinarily beautiful?
0: I suppose. Your life is perfect. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out? i do what I want more than anything right now. i come up here to live. With you.
1: You think they'd be satisfied being white?
0: Who's satisfied being anything?
1: We're all of us passing for something or other. Aren't we? Hi, Rebecca. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about your directorial debut passing. I'm Matt Negley. I'm with Next Best Picture. And I want to first uh, start off by asking a question that I know uh, myself and a lot of other members on the team over at my site have been wondering, Um, you've had such a great career so far as an actress. Why did you feel now was the time to step in the director's chair?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really feel now was the time. I suppose that the field has opened up a little bit. So I I was allowed to be. But I don't know, it was a combination of a couple of things. I mean, the truth is I've been daydreaming about being a director since I was about seven years old. Like it's always been it's always been the thing for me. And Mm. even from a, you know, I grew up in a family that had access to the industry, not the film industry, but theater. And, you know, my father was a director and I had access to all of it. So the fact that even from that privileged position, I didn't really imagine myself doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. I feel a certain amount of sadness about that. <laughs> but the truth is, it's what I've always wanted to do. Um oh. and I think I've always I've always approached acting a bit like a director. You know, I've I tend to like map out the whole sort of narrative arc of the movie and and sit on sets imagining how it's gonna to cut together. And, you know, and I just sort of lied to myself and assumed that that was doing the work of acting when actually secretly I was just yearning to be a director. So. <laughs>
1: That's really, really fascinating to hear. So I imagine that on other projects that you've worked on, you must have picked up a thing or two from some of the other directors you've worked with or other people working behind the camera. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about who was uh, a very helpful influence for you and uh, shared a thing or two with uh, getting you ready for this?
0: You know, it's it's strange. I can't really cite one or two specific instances. It's more like cumulative experience of mm-hmm. watching people work and knowing. I mean, I think the biggest lesson that I learned was there there isn't really a one way to do this. Sure. There isn't a right way. There's only your way. And I think that, you know ultimately for me, there was only one way to make this movie. I only ever saw it in black and white in 4, 3 with mm-hmm. this very pared down soundscape and complex sound design. And, you know, it, it told in this way, told in this small sort of very claustrophobic way. Um, I'm sure other people would make a completely different version of that book, mm-hmm. but this was my way. And I think the, the luxury of, of, of experience with other directors is that you can see that everybody does it really differently. And it doesn't make their results better or worse because it does boil down to your relationship with the frame. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you're sitting on set and everything else goes out the window. It's like, is what is what I'm looking at? Is that is that making it sing here? Am I feeling the things that I need to feel? And if not, then I've got to change something. And you keep going until you do.
1: I love that. And I love that you also referenced uh, the book as well. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what themes in Nella Larson's uh, book stood out to you um, that made you connected to the material that you knew that this was the right story to tell?
0: Well, I had a giant obvious connection to the material because my grandfather was black and passed white for his whole life in Detroit, Michigan. And so I had a very sort of explicit connection to the material. But beyond that, I personally was Overwhelmed and struck by, you know, any any great work of art, I think, transcends the specificity of what it's about. Mm-hmm. And Nala Larson, she takes racial passing as a metaphor and just explodes it because it ends up not really being about the woman who's hiding her racial identity, but about the other one who isn't hiding her racial identity, but is arguably hiding everything else about herself. Mm. And it's a so it becomes actually about how all of us negotiate identity as this place between the story that we tell the world about ourselves and the one that the world tells us about ourselves. Because all of us are dealing with tension in that. Like, and how much freedom do we have to actually express ourselves in relation to that?
1: It's a very, very complex theme, and it's one that, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, shooting this in the aspect ratio you wanted to do it in, black and white, um, all these themes that you're also uh, telling through this story. Um, you know, I, I, I want to know just in terms of getting the film like off the ground, um, you know, I, 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 it sounds like it's a hard sell, but at the same time, it sounds like your collaboration with Netflix has been nothing but supportive from what I can tell.
0: Oh, they were, they've been incredible, but they bought the film out of Sundance. So we'd already made the film by the time Netflix came along. Yeah. And getting the financing to actually make the film was
1: mm-hmm. took seven years. That's wow. So, yeah, that's what I was getting at, like in terms of yeah. just a journey to bring no, this to every
0: every single place mm-hmm. I took it to. And I pitched it everywhere. Yeah. Everybody said the same thing. And it always it just kind of killed me because they'd say wow this is incredible I've never heard of this book how have I never heard of this book it's so obviously it's so universal and the themes are so potent and I'd say yeah yeah okay so so you're going to give me the money to make it (laughs) no I don't think we can no 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 it's too risky it's too ambiguous it's too also you're a first-time filmmaker and you want to make it in black and white and four three uh, can you make it in color no I can't make it in color Mm. it won't work okay well can you change some aspects no I can't change aspects of the story I so on and on and on it went. And even, and then I met Nini Yang Bon Jovi and Forrest Whitaker, whose company is literally their MO is to take projects that have been said no to. (laughs) And, and they, I mean, they, if it wasn't for them, it wouldn't have happened. And they, they were the first people I met who, who didn't ask me to change a thing about my vision and just said, we'll scrap it together somehow. You're going to have to make it for a lot less than you'd like. Mm -hmm. But we'll scrap it together somehow. And that's true. We did make it for a lot less than any period film should ever be made up for. But, you know, we did get it made. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's incredibly validating to be here at this point, because, you know, even when we did get it made and even when we were screening at Sundance, I would still hear the same thing of, Mm -hmm. wow, this film is incredible. It's so wonderful. It's so moving. I don't think it's going to sell. You know, it's a bit niche. It's a bit art house. And I suppose what, everyone was kind of saying but not saying is you know a story that centers the emotional lives of two women of color is not going to be mainstream Mm. and I'm sitting here on the other side of that with Netflix having bought it and Mm -hmm. potentially millions of people going to see it and it's really validating and exciting to see actually yes the emotional lives of two women of color can be mainstream
1: yeah totally you have to do research into New York and Harlem specifically during this time period mm. and find a way to translate that to the screen on this smaller than usual budget that one would like to work with. Mm. Uh, but you found, in my opinion, some very unique ways to um, get around some of these challenges that were presented to you. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about, uh, you know, the filmmaking process of trying yeah, it's, to it's do a sort of- piece?
0: It's that sort of old adage of turn turn your misfortune into a strength or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it, it forces a certain amount of creativity. But I will say that a lot of the ideas that I had about this, the story anyway, sort of worked on a smaller budget. Like mm-hmm. I. I Counterintuitively, did not want to make a noisy film. Everyone talks about the nineteen twenties, and there's a sort of assumption that it's loud because we use this phrase, the Jazz Age. So everything is <laughs> blah, 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 yeah. and you know, loud and exuberant and all the rest of it. And and I didn't want to see Harlem like that. I wanted to see Harlem from the very narrow perspective of someone who's living a very claustrophobic existence. Mm-hmm. So instead, you you only see you know the sort of repetition of her domestic life you only see this little patch of street because it's the only patch of street that she sees every day so you only see it from one angle you only see the inside of her house in as much as the repetition of the groceries and the thing and the falling asleep in the chair and her house is sort of sparse and not really lived in it doesn't actually look like a 1920s house because it she's not entirely expressing her full self so there's like not enough stuff on the wall Mm. um and also the movie is really literally quiet like the sound Mm. design was very purposefully that because i do think i do think this movie does require something of its audience Mm -hmm. i think whatever you are dealing with around your own identity whatever you were feeling you bring to the movie and you will you you will work to get something from it if you take it at face value you're not going to get much because not very much happens Mm -hmm. so in a way the silence is a way of saying, I'm not going to tell you what to feel. You're going to have to work for it and lean in and pay attention.
1: And I love movies that make me do that. So I appreciate that greatly. Um, One of the other things that I also wanted to uh, ask you about here is working with the actors, of course, you being an actor um, as well. Um, what is that like in having that mindset of, oh my gosh, I can direct actors, like almost like the way I wish I was directed by others. Or like, <laughs> just tell me a little bit about that collaborative process and being the one now and finally in that position.
0: Yeah, I suppose, um, I suppose
1: the,
0: the the truth is there's no one size fits all. Like. Mm-hmm. I think that my father was a theater director and he always had an uncanny ability to walk into a rehearsal room on the first day. I know this because I work with him Mm -hmm. and he would just sort of wander around the room when everyone was having tea and chatting and sort of, I could see him sort of like quietly taking in everyone's varying energies. Mm -hmm. And over time, I sort of worked out that what he was doing was trying to understand what everyone, the different needs of everyone in the room, Mm -hmm. because really the best directors work out what every individual actor needs in order to make them do their best work like you're not going to make them do that they're, they're still doing it you're never really controlling it but you mm-hmm. want them to feel supported so they feel free to to go there um and it was so that sort of intuition and that kind of feeling thing is is something that i think i i brought to it but also it was pretty prescriptive because the (laughs) subtext of this is so myriad Mm. in a way we had to all really work out very very particularly and very specifically what was really going on underneath all the time at every given point so so I could capture it so they could play it so they could play it with each other so we did rehearse and we did talk extensively and we did map things out and and also I had to be very prescriptive about the blocking because the four three aspect ratio meant you know and there was a lot of composed shots like whether there are scenes with the two of them and Claire literally takes over Irene's shot when Irene leaves the frame
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: very deliberate sort of signifiers and visual motifs um that we had to work in so I did I did have to say to them look this is, this is a bit different. This is formal filmmaking, you know, this Mm -hmm. is stylized and it's a little heightened. So I'm going to need you to stand in specific places. I'm giving you boundaries just like everyone has boundaries in the film within those boundaries. I want you to feel free emotionally to do whatever you need to do. And I will help you do that. But I need you to, I need you to stand on your mark, basically.
1: (laughs) Uh, The ending of uh, the movie is, one that for me I, I first time I saw it I've seen it twice now and the first time I, did, I honestly did not know what I had just seen uh and it was like playing tricks on me second time it seemed a little bit more definitive oh but the book the book I think is more maybe more ambiguous and I just want to know from your point of view are you That's trying to be for del- interpretation <laughs> I was going to say are you trying to be deliberate or are you trying to keep it ambiguous like what is the intention here
0: I'm somewhere between the two. And I think that what you said about the book is really interesting. Some people read the book and they're like, oh, it's obvious that she meant this. And Mm -hmm. other people are like, oh, it's so interesting the way she refuses to say what she means. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, okay, that, that's, that seems like the place to live in, you know, it's somewhere between the two. And actually I do think pretty strongly that all of the things that could have happened did happen. Like Mm -hmm. everyone is responsible because, overall society is responsible i don't think the person isn't the person who gets the the horrible thing happen to them isn't being critiqued it's the society that won't allow her to live
1: that's great. I love that that's keeping in with the themes of the story as well. So uh, bravo to you, because that ending is so, so powerful. Um, I got to ask before we go, uh, you know, obviously big, big fan of your work. And I love that you are experiencing uh, this success uh, with the movie. And finally, people are going to get a chance to see it on Netflix, so considering that it's been a long, long journey towards the release of this movie. Um, I want to know, are you already thinking about what the next project will be with you as a, as a director? Because uh, there's such great, great talent on display here uh, from you behind the camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I love yeah, it. I, um... <laughs> <laughs> great, great. I, uh, I, I, I'm sure you're not allowed to say necessarily, but I want. No, it's
0: nothing specific. Yeah, I haven't told mm-hmm. anyone about it, but I'm, I'm going to do it
1: again. It was... Great. Are you looking to balance both directing and acting or leaning one more towards the other?
0: I don't know. I think I'm just going to take it on a case by case basis. You know, mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to um, necessarily take jobs as an actor just because I like to be busy. If you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like, which I have done in the past, honestly. I think I'm just going to do a bit more. You know, I'll take an acting job if it really speaks to me. But otherwise, I'm going to try and focus on directing.
1: Fantastic. Well, Rebecca, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me here today about your directorial debut passing coming to Netflix on November 10th and in limited release on October 27th. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director for Passing, Rebecca Hall, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Passing is currently playing in theaters in limited release and streaming now on Netflix. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts.